I want to thank you, praise team, for leading us into the presence of the Lord through singing and, uh, and worshiping him in, in song and music. It's uh, always a blessing to, uh, to see folks up here who you just see by the expressions on their face that they're singing praise to God. They're not trying to entertain us, and greatly appreciate that. Thank you for leading us in that way. Well, for those who are not aware, Pastor Brian is uh, away this week. He, uh, well, he may be back, but he was going to be gone out of town and then his, uh, decided to go and support Jay at his uh, baseball games over in the Sioux. So uh, he asked if I would step in. And so uh, I always apologize because he's such a great preacher and shares the word so well that I you know, feel like it's probably a disappointment. But uh, anyway, I'm glad to have an opportunity and uh, we'll look to see what the Lord is going to do here today. Uh, as a, if you look at the title of the message uh, today, uh, it's talking about God's perfect timing. And this week I got a, uh, on Facebook, I think it was, I saw this. I thought, you know, kind of fits kind of nicely. Uh, <laughs> took took you a little while there. I mean, you guys, you know, like, you know, didn't jump right on that humor there, but uh, God's timing is perfect, and we're going to look at some of that here today. Um, and so, uh, one of the things that uh, has been really circulating through my mind for uh, several months, a while back in our basic adult Bible fellowship, we were studying uh, Joseph from the Genesis, and we're going to be looking at his story here today. Uh, but as we were studying that more and more, as I looked into the life of Joseph, I was just captivated by a number of things in there that really connected with me and, and uh, just held my attention, and I kept going back to it over and over again. Uh, I, I've almost, uh, I've, I've sort of felt led uh, to write a book, actually, about God's perfect timing. And if I ever get uh, to, around to it, maybe I'll do that. But uh, this would be the first lesson that we would look at if I ever did that because it's such a strong lesson. And we're not going to be able to cover the whole... I'm going to give you an overview here today. And uh, we're not going to be able to get into a lot of depth, but I hope that we can find some lessons that we can go through. But one of the things that, if you're familiar with the story of Joseph, you know that uh, he went through some very difficult times in his life. And that made me think about uh, somebody in our life who uh, many of you know, some of you don't. Uh, that's our grandson, uh, Dalton. Uh, Dalton is um, our oldest grandchild. And uh, he's a, a guy who, at a very young age... Um, I just really sensed as I interacted with him that God had something special for him and there was a real connection there. Dalton used to uh, love to come to the Tuesday morning Bible study with me. And uh, it was kind of neat because he would get up uh, early. I'd pick him up, take him to uh, our Bible study. I'd bring him back home. He'd get ready for school and then go to school. And he did that for, for quite a while. And uh, just just some really... Uh, neat things about about him. But then, as many of you know, a few years back, um, Dalton uh, all of a sudden started having some real health issues, and um, he 
lost a lot of weight and um, really uh, struggled through some eating and digestive issues. Uh, He uh, went to the Mayo Clinic. Well, he went down there a couple of times, but he went down there and uh, he was at that time, I think, six foot seven, six foot eight, somewhere in that neighborhood. And he was 156 pounds, I think it was, somewhere in that neighborhood. I think my right leg weighs more than that. And, uh, but uh, one of the things that happened as he was down there is he was told by the people there, and this is my layman's simplistic version, but basically, don't allow the illness to control you. You control it. You get on with your life. And move forward with your life in spite of the health issues that you have. Uh, he's uh, 16. He'll be 17 next month. And uh, he is trying to find a, a form. I didn't expect this. I'm sorry. Um, he's trying to find some normalcy in his life. And uh, as you can see, he loves basketball. Um, uh, he is uh, just played in a tournament uh, this past weekend. And uh, while he was playing, had to leave the court because of his illness. He's now six foot nine. He's uh, a little bit over 200 pounds now. Uh, and he's doing a, a lot better but he still has a number of issues that he will basically face for the rest of his life. Many of you know of people who have far worse issues in their lives, many, many worse health issues and difficulties that they experience. As I was preparing for this, I I came across a story that I think goes even beyond this, and I just wanted to read this as I introduce our message here today. It was five days before Christmas when a stranger approached 10-year-old Christopher Carrier, claiming to be a friend of his father. I want to buy him a gift and I need your help, said the stranger. Eager to do something good for his dad, Chris climbed aboard a motorhome parked up the street. The driver took Chris to a remote field, claiming to be lost, and asked Chris to look at a map. Suddenly, Chris felt a sharp pain in his back. The stranger had stabbed him with an ice pick. The man drove the wounded boy down a dirt road, shot him in the left temple, and left him for dead in the alligator-infested Florida Everglades. Chris lay unconscious for six days until the driver found him. Chris miraculously survived his injuries, though he was blind in his left eye. Because he was unable to identify his attacker, police could not make an arrest. For a long time, Chris remained frightened despite police protection. Finally, at an invitation given after a church hayride, Chris trusted Jesus as his Savior. He recalls, I was overwhelmed with emotion because I knew I had never really accepted and personally met the Savior. This turning point in Chris's life came three years after the attack. At age 15, Chris shared his story for the first time. He eventually decided to pursue full-time ministry, helping others to find the peace he had discovered in Christ. Well, many people face many issues, many difficulties. 
Today we're going to take a look at Joseph, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. And as I said, we're going to really not be able to do uh, an in-depth verse by verse because we're going to go all the way through chapter 50. When I mentioned that to my wife the other day, she said, what? <laughs> what are you going to do? And, uh, but, so we're going to only be able to touch on some of the things uh, that we are going to be dealing with. One of the things that struck me as I thought about this is um, Joseph at this time was 17 years old, same age as our grandson Dalton. So let's just take a look at a couple of verses, then I'm going to make some, uh, try to make some points here. Verse uh, 2b of chapter 37. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. Verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made him a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. And Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheep, sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheep, sheaf rose up and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And, he, and they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told his brothers again, Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me when he told his brother as well as his, uh, his father as well as his brothers. His father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this in mind. So, Joseph was age 17, and he had a dream, and the dream was from God. We're clear from Scripture. It wasn't something that he was there and he just makes this up. He actually had a dream from God, a vision that told him what was going to happen in his future. And so uh, in the dream, uh, it, it talks about a future prominence. In other words, it talks about a position where others will come and bow before him. And I don't think at age 17 he could possibly have fully comprehended all of what he was going to be experiencing what was in front of him, but he certainly understood that he had a vision from God about something pretty important that was going to happen in his life. And I don't know about you, but uh, there are times when I have had a dream of something and I, I wonder, is this God who is giving me this dream? Is God trying to tell me something? Is God trying to make me aware of something? And the only thing that really can prove that out is when whatever it is that God has laid on your heart comes true. And as we're going to see here in the life of Joseph, uh, he has some of those uh, struggles that lead him to the point. Um, so in his dream, his brothers are going to come and bow down to him. And his father and basically his whole family 
will come and bow down to him. Now, if you can imagine, if you were one of his brothers, uh, first of all, his father loved him more. His father had given him this robe, which was apparently a very beautiful robe. It was more uh, nicer than anything that they had. And his brother, or his brothers, had been made very clear that Joseph is the favored son. So, of course, they were jealous of him. They were probably very angry with him. And, you know, in our lives, we have circumstances that will come up where people are going to be jealous of us, no matter what it is that we're doing. There are people who will uh, become jealous of us. And so, here he is, a young teenager. He's had this dream, and he is... uh, telling it to his brother and his father, brothers and father, and they are all kind of looking at him and wondering, what in the world are you talking about? Why would your father come and bow down to you? Why would your mother and, and, and the rest of the family have to bow down to you? They certainly could not understand all of what was going on. So because of their jealousy, because of their anger, because of their frustration with their brothers, we pick up the story. And we see that uh, in verse 19 of chapter 37, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dream. And have you ever been in a position where uh, you have had a sense that God was, was doing something and others got angry and jealous and and, and, and you get a feeling that no matter what, they're not going to believe what it is that you are saying and what's going on. And so there's a discussion between the brothers, and they, they're trying to figure out what to do with him. And they, some of them wanted to kill him, and, and one of the brothers says, no, let's not kill him. Uh, let's, uh, uh, let's put him into the cistern alive for a period of time. And when I read about that, I wonder to myself, when Joseph was grabbed and his robe was taken from him and he was put down into that cistern. And he's down there and he's looking up and he, he probably can see the light, but he can't see much else. And I'm wondering, is he thinking about his dream? Do you think at that point he's thinking, you know, God promised me my brothers and my, my father and my family are going to bow down to me. Do you think he's thinking about that as he's in this cistern? be pretty difficult, wouldn't it? And when we're in the middle of of a situation, sometimes it's hard for us to see what's coming up ahead. It's hard for us to imagine that there could be something positive, something good that's out in front of me when we're in the middle of a cistern. And and most of you have been in a cistern of some sort. You know what I mean by that. You've you've been in a bad spot where, where when you look, all you can see is up because when you look around you, all you see is danger and trouble and problems. And you're struggling with, what is going on? I don't get it. And I think for Joseph, this had to be a very dark time in his life. I, I thought I, I'd go online and just get a couple of pictures of ancient cisterns. And as you can see, all they are is just a hole in the ground. And, and the purpose of the cistern was that when it rained and when water would run, it would, would run into this hole. It would fill the hole up so that they would have access to water. And primarily it was to water their, their flocks when it was a real dry period of time. And so 
Can you imagine being in one of these holes and, and, and you're surrounded by darkness other than this light that's coming down from up above you and how difficult that would be? But God knows. And God has his timing and God knows his timing and it's perfect. Let's look at what happens. Pick up at verse 25. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So when the Midianites, Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. I can't imagine having family members who would actually pull you up out of a cistern, out of a, out of a place, and take you and sell you off to somebody else. I can't imagine the anger and the frustration with a family member that would cause you to do that. And yet, we all know that it happens in family after family. And there are difficult things that happen within families. Joseph's brothers did not understand. They were jealous. They had envy. They they just could not grasp what it was that Joseph was what was going on. And so their response, their response is to kill his dream. Do you ever have dreams and people come along and do everything they can to kill your dream? Have you ever had a vision to do a certain thing and everywhere you turn, people are discouraging you and and trying to dissuade you from whatever that dream might be? Well, that's what's going on here. They didn't want to, to uh, assist Joseph in any way. Instead, they wanted to kill him. And, and since they, they chose to not kill him physically, they so decided, well, we'll kill your dream, Joseph. We're going to just get rid of you. If we sell you as a slave, we're never going to have to see you again. We're never going to have to deal with you again. We're going to get rid of you. We're going to get rid of this dreamer who comes along and tells us that we're going to bow down to him. Can you imagine as he's in this caravan heading off to Egypt? Uh, I could envision that he probably was tied with a a rope somehow, uh, being dragged along behind. 17 years old, he's a a pretty good-sized person. He's probably being dragged along. and I wonder if he's thinking about the dream. I wonder if he's actually thinking, you know what, someday my brothers and my father and my family will come and and bow down to me. But you know, it's God's perfect timing if you look at this. Because while they were still contemplating, are we going to kill our brother? They look up and they see this caravan coming. It's God's perfect timing as they send him off because God has come and, and put a hedge of protection around him. And has taken care of him. Uh, 
Uh, flip with me, if you will, over to chapter 39. Chapter 39, verse 1 says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. It is significant who Potiphar is. It's a very significant thing, and I'm going to show you that in a moment. Joseph doesn't know that at this point. All Joseph knows is, I am now a slave. I'm owned by this man, Potiphar. I'm in his home. And, and, and if we were to keep reading, and I'm going to summarize instead, but if we were to keep reading, and while he was there, God continued to bless Joseph's life. God did not leave Joseph. God is blessing him. God is with him. God is honoring him and taking care of him. And everything that he touches, God is blessing. And Potiphar looks at this, and Potiphar says, Wow, since Joseph has been here, this slave that I bought, since he's been here, everything that he touches has increased my value, my wealth. It has increased who I am and what I am, and everything I have has become better and more valuable because of this Joseph. I'm going to put him in charge of everything, because if he's in charge of everything, then everything is going to prosper. And so Joseph is in a good spot here. Even though he's a slave, God is blessing him. God is taking care of him. But do you think even as he's a slave that he's thinking, but what about my dream? Do you think that in any way, shape, or form he could imagine how it's going to come about that his brother and his father and his family would come and bow to him? All he knows is that he's being faithful to God. He's honoring God and God is blessing him and pouring out blessing not only on him but on the household that he's taken care of. And then... Potiphar's wife takes notice of Joseph and she decides that she wants to have a relationship with Joseph. If you look down at verse 6, the end of verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was well built and handsome and after a while his master's wife took notice of him and said, come to bed with me. But look at his response. He's, a, he's probably, I don't know, 17, 18, 19 years old at this point. But, God, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. You see, he is being a man of honor. He is being a man of integrity. He is a man who is owned by Potiphar, And he will not cross the line with Potiphar's wife. And he stands against it and refuses. And Potiphar's wife gets frustrated as she day after day after day pursues him. And he refuses day after day after day. And finally, she falsely accuses him of a crime. She accuses him of rape. And after he is accused of rape, look at verse 20. Of verse 30, chapter 39. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. 
the place where the king's prisoners were confined. That's the significance of who Potiphar was. You see, if Potiphar was not an official, Joseph would have been stuck in a crummy, horrible prison someplace, a hole in the ground, probably like the cistern that he had been in. It would have been a terrible place for him to be. And I'm not saying that the king's prison was a wonderful place or a great place, but it was certainly going to be better than if it was somebody who has not put there by an official. God was taking care of Joseph, even in putting him into that prison, even in that situation. And can you imagine, here's Joseph and he's in prison. Do you think he's thinking there about his dream? And the Bible says in verse 23, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success at everything he did. Everything that Joseph put his hands to, even in the prison, God was blessing. And the guy who was in charge of this prison took note of nothing because, hey, I don't have to even bother because God is blessing Joseph and taking care of things. Well, it's not a coincidence that he's in this prison. Along comes a couple of other prisoners. And these other prisoners uh, are Pharaoh's officials. And you, most of you probably know this story, but, but one is the baker and the other one is the uh, man who, who uh, brings wine, the cupbearer brings wine to the, to the king. And they're in prison and Joseph is there with them, and he's taking care of them. The, the warden had put him in charge of them, and he's taking care of them. And, and uh, they have a dream. And Joseph interprets the dream. And you remember the, the two dreams? One was that the, the cupbearer, you're going to be back with the, you're going to be back with Pharaoh, and you're going to be serving him wine again. And, and to the baker, you're going to be beheaded. <laughs> you're going to be killed. And, and so, uh, these two men have their dream and it's interpreted and, and, the, and they both come true. And then pick up with me at chapter 40, verse 23. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Can you imagine? Everything that had just happened, how do you leave that place and forget? But it's God's timing. It's God's perfect timing here. It's important that we understand that our timing and God's timing might be entirely different. God had a blessing in mind for Joseph. God had something special for Joseph. But when he was going through it, he certainly could not have understood all of what that meant. Verse 1 of chapter 41, When two full years had passed, He's in prison another two years because the cupbearer forgot to say something about it. And then Pharaoh has a dream. In verse 9, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. And he reminds Pharaoh that he had been put in prison and that he had met this man Joseph. And Joseph had interpreted these dreams. And he says, And Joseph can interpret your dreams as well, Pharaoh. Joseph can tell you the things that God is revealing to you. 
And so Joseph is brought before Pharaoh and he, and he comes and he's in his presence. And, and as they're together, Pharaoh says, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And look what Joseph says. What a significant statement. What a reminder to you and to me. Don't take credit for something that you don't do yourself. Give the credit, the glory to where it should go. Look what he says. I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph takes an opportunity. Here he is, he's in the presence of the king, and he's asked to do something, and Joseph could have very easily said, well, you know, yeah, I can interpret your dream, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm good at interpreting dreams, and just tell me what it is, and I'll tell you what. No, he says, I can't do it. I'm going to give the glory to God. God will give me the answer to your dreams, but it's not me, it's God. There's a reminder to you and to me that we don't take credit for something that we don't do. We give the glory to God. So he gives them the interpretation, and you you remember the dream. The dream is that there's going to be seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph says, you know, and and Pharaoh says, we need to look for somebody. And Joseph gives them an, an interpretation. He tells him how he can take care of that. And he says, you know, let's, let's store up a fifth of everything we get for the first seven years. And then we'll have plenty left over to feed the people in the following years of famine, the seven years of famine. Pharaoh's saying, hey, we need to find somebody that we can put in charge of this program. Duh, Joseph is the guy. Obviously, God is blessing him. God is giving him interpretations. God is taking care of him. If he's done that in these other places, he can do it again here. And so, Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of everything. Joseph becomes a number two man. It's interesting. I wonder if Joseph, even in this role, even in this position, has any thoughts of the dream. Think about it. It's been a while. Look at verse 46 of chapter 41. Verse 46 says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. That's 13 years. From the time he was put in a cistern, sold into slavery, served in Pharaoh's household, served time in jail or in prison, and taken before Pharaoh, 13 years have passed by. Overwhelming. How could he even think about the dream? He probably wasn't even sure what what was going on? He didn't lose sight of God, but he certainly had some uh, issues. Well, I want to remind us here, because we're going to move into a new phase with Joseph, of some of the things we just read. So when Joseph was, uh, when he was a slave, when he was in prison, 
when he was being sold as a slave, it was God who had made these promises, who knew the perfect timing and was taking care of him. When he was being sold or put in prison for a crime he had not committed, God, it was part of his plan for Joseph. I don't know about you, but when I'm planning and thinking ahead and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, to have an idea of where God is leading in a certain thing, there are those times when I come to the point where it's like, wow, is God really in this? Is this, is this God's thing? Jim mentioned our, our summer and what we're going to be doing with the ABFs. And I have to tell you, those who are on the CE board know that I've had this vision for over a year. And I have struggled for over a year. Is this what God wants for Bethel? Is this something I should be moving forward with? The last thing I want is to destroy our adult Bible fellowships. I, I was the one who initiated them being here. I so, I, I, I so believe in them. I don't want to destroy them. But over and over and over, God just kept pouring into my heart, this is something we should do for the summer. And so this summer we're going to do that. But, but trust me, during that time, there were times of doubt. I believe that our summer is God's plan for Bethel this summer. But it's not something that, that we just jump into and, and, and go ahead with. There's those doubts that come in. Well, you think about timing here again. Joseph is 30 years old. There's going to be seven years. So now he is going to be 37 years old. It's been over 20 years since he was sold by his brothers or since he had the dream, actually. It's been over 20 years, 20 plus years. And during this time, I believe that Joseph finally came to a point where he started to realize, you know what, this famine is going to spread through all the countries. And I believe that he finally started to see, you know what, there might be a possibility that I will see my father and my brothers again. And you, if you remember the stories, and I'm not going to go into it, there, there's a, a series of chapters here that deal with how uh, Joseph's brothers came to him to get food. And they didn't recognize him. And of course, if you think about it again, it's been 20 years, right? People change over 20 years. And they came to him, and what did they do? They came into his presence, and they fell down on the ground and bowed before Joseph, the dream came true, the first dream. Joseph, at this point, looks at his brothers bowing before him, and he's got to be thinking, God, you've told me this 20 years ago. And here they are. Wow. And, and, and so through a, circ- a, a, a series of things that, that Joseph does with his brothers and and a, and a way he takes care of things, he finally gets to the point where his dad, his father, Israel, comes. And what does he do? He bows before his own son. And the whole family comes, and they all bow. And Joseph remembers the second dream. 
He's giving God glory because he's reminding us that it's God's dream. It's God's dream. Well, what are some lessons? What are some conclusions that we can take from that? Well, the world will try to keep us from our spiritual walk. I don't know about you, but but there are a lot of things that that seem like it comes along and and really distracts people off of their spiritual walk, including me, including many that I I have spoken with in counseling and other places. Another lesson is that people may forget us, but God never will. I don't know about you, that is so reassuring to me. Uh, because there are people who just forget you. There are people that I've forgotten. All of a sudden they may surface and you're like, wow, I'd forgotten all about you. I mean, you don't say that, right? Wouldn't be very polite. But but I'm sure you've all been there, right? Where Where you meet up with somebody you haven't seen for many, many years and all of a sudden it's like, wow, here they are. God doesn't forget us like that. God is always aware. We must always trust in God's timing. I don't care how difficult it is. I don't care if you're in a cistern. I don't care if you're in jail. I don't care if you're a slave. I don't care what the circumstances. Trust God because He is faithful. He doesn't forget you. He will be with you whatever comes. Many of you have gone through very, very difficult things or have family members who have. And you've probably seen God's faithfulness through it all. God had remained faithful to Joseph for all of the 20 plus years. We saw that over and over again. The blessings, the blessings, the blessings. God was with him. Through it all, Joseph gave God the glory. At a time when he could have simply said, I'll interpret your dream. He says, no, God can interpret your dream. When he could have gone to bed with Potiphar's wife, he says, no, that is not what I am supposed to do. It's the wrong thing. I will stand against that. And he was faithful. He gave God glory through it all. God used Joseph to save Israel. Is that significant for you and for me? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because he also, God used Joseph to save the line of Judah from which came our Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that significant? Absolutely. God was making provision for us. Think about that. Through Joseph. God had you and me in mind when he was saving Joseph, when he was taking care of Joseph through all of those things. He had us in mind. That's pretty significant. But I think there's one more lesson. Let's look, if you would, at chapter 50. And we're going to read... Verses 15 through 20. 
And over in, in uh, chapter 49, we see the, uh, the reference to Judah and uh, the Savior coming through that line. But in chapter 50, beginning in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw what their father, that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? Duh, he should have, or he could have. I shouldn't say he should have. He could have, couldn't he? And pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of your servants, the servants of God. Uh, I'm sorry. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Through Joseph we see we get a visual of what it is like for us to go into the very presence of God the Father. You see, we come like those brothers, don't we? We come with our, our load of sin and guilt on our backs. And we come before God the Father, and we bow at His feet, and we ask for forgiveness, and God, by His grace, opens His arms and says, You're forgiven. Well, how do we know that? What do we have in Scripture that kind of tells us that? Well, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet His enemy, God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. God has made a provision 2,000 years ago for you and for me so that when we commit our sins, we don't have to cringe and cower and go and hide, but rather we can stand in the presence of God, not because of anything we've done, but because of His final work upon the cross of Calvary. All have sinned according to Romans 3.23. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All means you and me and everybody else in this room and everybody else in this world. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I don't care how good or how wonderful you might be. You have sinned. You are a sinner. And I am a sinner. And according to Romans 6.23, the wages, the payment that I deserve is death. Eternal separation from God. There's nothing that I can do in this world to earn a relationship with God that He would save me. Nothing that I can do. But the second half of Romans 6, 23 is so amazing. But, I love that word but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God, through Joseph, saved the line of Judah Judah is the forefather of Jesus Christ who had come from God to make a provision that though we are sinners, though we deserve to die, though we, though we deserve punishment, God made a provision all those years before through Joseph. He was thinking us 
in Genesis, he's talking and thinking about you and me, and he's saying, I want you to spend eternity with me in heaven. And there's one catch. There's one catch. John 1.12 says, But as many as received, to him, received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. We must believe and receive that salvation. We cannot, we cannot earn our way into heaven. You and I are not good enough. You and I cannot do it on our own. You and I are totally dependent, as Joseph was, as he's in the cistern, as he's a slave, as he's in jail, totally reliant upon God. Well, I read you the story about Christopher Carrier. There's more to the story. In 1996, a detective told Chris over the phone that a man had confessed to the crime that had cost him his left eye. The man's name was David McAllister. Chris made plans to visit the feeble and now blind man living in a nursing home. The strong young man Chris remembered was now a broken, humbled 77-year-old. Chris learned from the detective that some of the uh, learned from the detective some of the background of what had happened years ago. McAllister had been hired by Chris's father to work at a nur- uh, as a nurse for an ailing uncle. Chris's dad had caught McAllister drinking on the job and had fired him. The senseless attack on Chris had been motivated by revenge. As Chris now talked to the old man, at first McAllister had died, had denied at knowing anything about the kidnapping. As Chris revealed more about himself, the old man softened and eventually apologized. Chris said, I told him what you meant for evil, God has turned into a wonderful blessing. Chris told his attacker how God had allowed his wounds to become open doors to share the good news of Christ. Chris went home and told his wife and kids about meeting the man who had tried to kill him. The entire family began almost daily visits to McAllister's home, nursing home. During one Sunday afternoon visit, Chris popped the most important question he had yet asked McAllister. Do you want to know the Lord? McAllister said yes. Both men basked in the forgiveness as McAllister gave his heart to Christ. A few days later, McAllister died peacefully. In his sleep. And Carrier says, It's not a story of regret, but of redemption. I saw the Lord give that man back his life and so much more. I can't wait to see him again someday in heaven. You and I, you and I are in cisterns and we're in slavery and we're in prison to our earthly bodies that are full of sin and things that we regret. But God has given us forgiveness. He's given us a story of hope and promise that we can take to a lost and hurting world. It's your story. We read Joseph's story. We read this young man Chris's story. You have a story 
I have a story to share with the lost and hurting world. Will you take advantage of this this week? Lord God, I thank you for the story of Joseph, the truth of a man that you saved, that you blessed even in adverse circumstances. God, you have made a provision for us. The story of Joseph, we see your love and grace lived out in a human being. Help us, Lord, to not take that grace for granted, but, Lord, to live for you, to share the truth of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, to a lost and hurting world. We pray this in Jesus' holy name.